You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, today, I'm joined with my friend and CEO of Confident Cannabis, Steve Alberon. Thanks, Steve, for being willing to chat with me today. Thanks, Jason. Good to be on. Yeah, totally. Um, so I know by now there's probably a lot of people in the cannabis industry that are familiar with Confident Cannabis, but there's still plenty of people out there um, that are maybe just now starting to hear about the platform and some of the work that you're trying to do. So do you mind um, just briefly going into what Confident Cannabis is and um, why you started it? And we'll spin off from there. Sure. So we started the company about four years ago to try to help solve what we think is the biggest problem in the cannabis industry, which is that businesses have a hard time doing business with one another. So cultivators and retailers have a hard time uh, finding each other, assessing each other's quality of inventory and actually fulfilling transactions. So that problem uh, is what we set out to solve. We started by building a lab testing platform that we gave to labs uh, for free or very cheap to acquire the supply side of the market. Um, and once uh, you know the inventory information is is available, we make that available to the buyers on the platform who are licensed retailers or distributors or manufacturers. Uh, so a good analogy might be Auto Trader plus Carfax for cannabis. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a really good analogy. And and basically, kind of what your platform is doing is essentially um, bringing a lot more transparency to the industry itself as well. Yeah, yeah, as that's as... sort of the the, the 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 mission or vision that we that we set out to achieve. Um, you know, the real reason why it's hard for businesses to trade with one another is because there's a lack of transparency. There's uh, a lack of information about the inventory quality, what's out there, who's making it, what it's made of. Um, and so, bringing transparency to cannabis is sort of our tagline because uh, without knowing what's being made, who makes it, and what it's made of nationwide in real time businesses can't transact and, 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 and operate in transparency. Yeah. And what got you interested in trying to provide this service to the industry? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when, when my co-founder Tony and I were uh, thinking about starting uh, a company in the cannabis industry together, um, we, we basically just asked operators what problems they had. So rather, mm. rather than come up with an idea and go see if it works, uh, we kind of did the opposite. We said, we're not going to come up with an idea yet. We're just going to ask a lot of questions and find a problem. And then we'll try to solve that problem. And if we're successful at doing that, a business will come out of it. And so we basically spent nine months uh, getting on planes, going into retailers, cultivation facilities, and just saying, what's hard for you? When was the last time that there was a problem that you wish you could solve, uh, but you don't know how? Um, and we kind of collected all that feedback. And you know, the common things came up, you know, payments and banking, uh, taxes, things like that, that we didn't uh, think that we were best suited to solve. But the, mm -hmm. the, other, the, the other problem that came up over and over was that it's really hard to stock my shelves with consistent high quality supply, or it's really hard for me to stand out from the crowd when selling my inventory. Or as a, as a patient, I'm looking for a very specific chemotype or, uh, you know, chemical composition mm -hmm. to, yeah. to address my insomnia, my anxiety, my pain, whatever it might be. And I don't know how to find it. I found something that I liked once, but I can't find it again. How do I do that? So um, all that together led us to the realization, wow, you know, cannabis is highly complex. It's highly opaque mm -hmm. um, and it's highly variable. 
right? It's not a commodity where one flower is the same as the other flower. It's, it's, it's very much not a commodity. Um, and so to bring that information to the forefront, we needed to partner with, with testing labs. And we saw that, you know, there are a handful of labs in the, in the country. When I say a handful, at the time there were about 50, today there's about 200 labs, um, and yeah. which, which is a relatively small market. And they're completely underserved. Nobody's building software for them. So we saw an opportunity there to help them out um, and give them this great piece of software for free. And they start using it. And then that's what allows us to, uh, you know, reveal that information to the market. Nice. Yeah. 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 What, what year was it that? that all started because i remember um when i was in the cannabis testing space we were one of the first labs to try out yeah. the really early iterations of, of yeah. confident cannabis what year was that that was 2015 yeah so we we we, we formed wow. the company in may 2015 and then we launched with our first customer in oregon um in october and i think uh i think you were probably customer number five something like that wow. four, yeah four or yeah. five yeah yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, we've come a long way since then. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I noticed, uh, very recently, um, you launched a marketplace feature, um, for confident cannabis. So when I was using confident cannabis, it really was all just, um, primarily lab service, um, stuff and trying to figure out how to get consistent data, I think, you know, into that database and figuring out what to do with it. And, and now it looks like you're actually connecting, um, buyers and sellers together um, partnered with that data. So it's been really cool to watch that evolution. Um, yeah. Over yeah, the past four years. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we haven't, we haven't pivoted or, or, it, you know, it's not sort of a, a new idea. We've, you know, tried to be as open about our, our, our plans as possible from the very beginning. Um, but you know, it took us a good solid three years to get to step two of the vision, which is the marketplace side of things. Um, and it's funny cause we were telling people, Hey, we're doing this lab thing because we're going to be a marketplace one day. And three years into it, people didn't believe us. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but it feels good to finally do what we said we were going to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, a lot of the best ideas, you know, take time and you've got to be in the long game. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th I think the, the way you described um, identifying the problems that need to be solved, that's such a good lesson to entrepreneurs broadly um, that yeah. you, you really need to understand what problems exist before you start to try to build a product to, to meet that. Um, I yeah, think that's a yeah. great, great strategy. Yeah. And I can't take credit for coming up with that idea or that notion myself. It was something that, uh, was kind of told to, to me and Tony from, mm -hmm. you know, from our advisors, from our, you know, we were at grad school at the time. So we had a lot of smart people giving us good advice. And that was one bit of advice that's really kind of stuck with us. And, you know, I tell that to every entrepreneur, go find a problem, solve the problem. Don't think about the business yet. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, when you were first onboarding Confident Cannabis and approaching labs, was there any, um, were you met with any resistance um, as far as the like sharing of that data and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So early on, uh, a lot less so now because people kind of know about us and, and yeah. we've kind of earned trust. But yeah, certainly early on, there was this idea that, um, you know, we're going to steal their data or do something with it. Um, uh, the reality is that, um, you know, the, the, the data is valuable and interesting in certain cases, but just simply aggregating it, it's not like we can reverse engineer a formulation. Um, which is, it's not something that we want to do. It's not something that we can do with the data. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the objection of like data privacy 
doesn't come up very often at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, a lot of the labs who voiced that concern early on and didn't want to onboard are now happy customers. Um, yeah. And so uh, I, I think in part because not only have we not you know, done what they were worried about, but we, we also did what we said we would do, which is do this marketplace thing. So, um, you know, the cannabis chemistry is super fascinating and we think it's really important. Um, the general population isn't educated enough to really know what to do with this information, but we have built tools like Connect. If you want to go to our website and uh, click the button at the top that says Connect, um, it's, it's, it's a free tool. We don't make any money from it. Uh, we built it because we thought we kind of had a moral obligation to do that. Uh, and, and really what it is, is uh, it's a, a 3D visualization of cam- cannabis chemistry. And so you'll see a number of different dots. Every dot is, uh, is uh, a, a particular strain grown by a particular producer in a particular state. Um, and the location of that dot is a function of uh, several different chemicals uh, in their concentration. So THC, CBD, but as well as uh, THCV, CBDV, mm-hmm. CBG. Um, and so a number of minor cannabinoids, but then also a number of terpenes, beta caryophyllene, limonene, pinene, all the usual yeah. suspects. Um, and based on the, the, the distribution of those various compounds in uh, that uh, particular batch or, or group of batches, um, that'll determine how close or far they are from another dot. So the way to read it is if the dots are close together, they're chemically similar, they're mm-hmm. far apart, they're chemically uh, d- d- distinct. And so what you can do is you can go in and you say, okay, I'm looking for, let's say, you know, OG Kush, right? Mm-hmm. And if the dots are all over the place and widely spread out, that tells you something very important. It means that it's a highly unreliable strain name. There are mm-hmm. lots of strains that you might find in a store that are called OG Kush that have widely different chemical compositions. Um, conversely, if you type in a, a strain name and find them fairly clustered together, you know it's a fairly... Uh, reliable strain name. But in general, we've obviously looked at all this information, uh, strain names are very unreliable. Um, they're not right. bad. They're, they're not evil. They're brand names, but they're, they yeah. don't really yeah. tell you much about chemical composition. And uh, because cam- cannabis is so diverse, it really does matter, um, you know, the ratios of these profiles. Um, yep. You know, some, some people don't like the effects of high terpenoline strains. Some people do. Um, some people want high mercine strains. Some people don't. Um, and, you know, not to mention CBD, THC, you know, concentrations being important. So Connect is this really cool tool where you can kind of go in and explore and see different states, um, different markets. Um, and if you're a retailer uh, in, in, a, in a state where we have uh, our, our marketplace launch, which is Oregon and Michigan, you can actually click through to buy that inventory um, if, if you want to. Yeah, um, that's, that's fascinating. I might have to do like an addendum to this interview and show people um, what that uh, platform looks like. Um, I've I've explored it. it. It reminds me a lot of um, the uh, the genetic the Phylos Galaxy that does a similar thing, but with genetics rather than than chemistry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something I'm interested to see is if those data sets can ever get um, uh, commingled. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, a lot of people compare it to the Philo Galaxy, Philos Galaxy because, uh, you know, they, they launched it, uh, you know, first and it, it is a 3D map. Um, right. Um, but other than that, it is fairly functionally different. Um, right. There was a time when we were talking to Philos, we're not talking to them much anymore, but uh, there's a time when we were thinking about doing something together. Um, nothing got off the ground, no data was shared um, for various reasons, but um, yeah, the idea of combining cannabis genetics with chemotype 
mm-hmm. is, is really interesting because then you can start to correlate them and you can start to tease apart nature versus nurture um, yep. and, 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 you know, do different things. So like there's another group called the grow off, which uh, controls for genetics and only measures nurture. So they'll give a bunch of growers equal clones um, and let them have at it. And they just have to record their cultivation process. And at the end of it, they, they lab test it and, you know, they measure for potency of different markers uh, as well as yield uh, and things like that, um, which, which, which is super cool. And so we partnered with them on a couple of competitions that are coming up as well. Um, oh, cool. But, but yeah, basically the idea of, you know, nature, nurture, yielding chemotype, chemotype yielding an entourage effect and how you feel. That's right. kind of the, the big picture that we're hoping to be a part of. Yeah, that's great. And that, that, um, helps me a lot as an educator um, because these are concepts that I've been teaching about for several years but haven't had very strong data sets to really make it super obvious um, mm-hmm. how some of these dynamics work. And, you know, for instance, the um, unreliability of strain names. There's been a couple of uh, papers that have been published um, looking at that, but it's still... You know, you can't expect most people in the public to go look at scientific papers and wade through all of that to understand, um, you know, the yeah. rationale for why I'm explaining things. But seeing a map like that, like you said, right. looking for a common right. strain name and seeing that distribution, it's just in in just a few instance uh, instances just makes it really uh, quick and easy to digest. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a talk I gave uh, earlier this year uh, at an event called Blunt Talks um, mm-hmm. that is specifically about this. It was about connect. It was about strain names being unreliable and, and why uh, you know can- cannabis chemistry is important. Um, I can send you the link so you can put it in the show notes yeah, later if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, on this topic, you know, we've already gotten into something I was really excited to talk to you about, or just basic trends that you're seeing in your data sets. And I know it's it's a little premature in a way because the quality of data that's getting fed in the system is always getting better, um, particularly as labs are um, hopefully um, improving processes and uh, methods and everything. And there's a lot of controversy about that because the, the quality of data coming out of labs is sort of variable based on the scrutiny placed upon them by regulatory bodies. Um, right. There's sort of an ebb and flow of yeah. high quality data, depending on how closely they're regulated. Unfortunately, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but what are what are some other trends that you're noticing? Um, not even necessarily about cannabis chemistry, but just either broadly about um, cannabis chemistry or product types, or just trends in the market in general that um, that have stood out to you. Yeah, yeah. So on on. On the cannabis chemistry side, we have a pretty good view of the market. Uh, so roughly roughly half of the legal cannabis that is produced and tested in the U.S. goes through our platform um, across 26 different markets, I think. Uh, and the, the, the interesting thing is that in, in the newer markets, THC tends to rise rapidly and then plateau. Mm-hmm. In the mature markets, after the plateau, the average THC tends to decline slightly. Um, because there's a there's a there's a there's a new entrance of kind of one to one THC CBD kind of mixed mm-hmm. uh, profile and then high CBDs as well. Um, the the sort of high THC novelty kind of wears off in some of these newer markets or older markets, the more mature markets. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in the in the in the, when the markets are brand new, people are just trying to grow anything they can to get it out there because there's a shortage of supply um, and they're just kind of racing for high THC numbers. So we we definitely see that. Now to your point, it's hard to 
it's hard, it's hard to tease apart whether that is actually the chemistry in the plan or if that's, you know, economic forces, you know, in the labs are kind of reporting higher numbers. Um, right. I, I, I frankly think it's a combination of the, of the yeah. two. It, make, it makes intuitive sense that if you're optimizing for THC, the more practice you have in that particular facility with that particular team, you're going to, you know, mm-hmm. get better at it and, and get higher THC numbers. Um, but it also does make sense that once sort of, you know, the market is stabilized and the, 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 the THC options on the market are widely available and consistent and that market's been addressed, there's like kind of newer demographics that people are trying to go after, like kind of the more the one-to-one uh, THC-CBD ratio uh, consumers, right? Yeah. Um, that's one thing in, in, in as far as um, cannabinoids is concerned. Other other things around terpenes, um, so um, in in Nevada, for some reason, people really love myrcene. A lot huh. of people really optimize for myrcene. And so we, we, we see a lot of high myrcene levels. In other markets, uh, people tend to not want mercy and mm-hmm. they're trying to, and so it's like the mercy level across different states is very different, uh, which is kind of interesting. There are a lot of, uh, the, the number of minor cannabinoids or samples of minor cannabinoids is increasing. So people are trying to grow for THCV, mm-hmm. CBG, um, and these, these, these kinds of, uh, other minor cannabinoids. Um, CBG is one of them that we've seen pretty high numbers, you know, like high single digit numbers concentrations, which is really high for CBG. Um, um, so those are kind of like the chemistry kind of trends that we see. As far as, um, you know, strain names and things like that, we see uh, fairly different strain names in different markets, um, which t- tends to imply that people are kind of naming and creating their own names. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always new names that come out all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, like you can kind of get a sense for what's what's going to be popular by looking at the, the, the rising strain names, because it's, you know, you see the lab test before it's on the shelf and after, you know, assuming the supply is anticipating demand correctly. Right. Um, so like a lot of the fruity kind of gelato kind of grapefruit, uh, kind of strains are really popular right now. Um, I think those are higher mercine strains, like the kind of mango kind of mm-hmm. situations. Um, there, there was a time when, you know, everything was about like, you know, Gorilla Glue, Sour Diesel, like oh, yeah, high terpenol. Yeah. yeah, those terpenoline <laughs> strains. Um, I think that, that 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 era has passed and they're kind of passe. So now they're going for more fruity. I don't know what the next era is going to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fascinating. It'll be interesting if you get to a point where you have a uh, um, like a market prediction tool where you can kind of let the industry know like, oh, it seems like it's going to be a Girl Scout cookies year. And, right. Um, something like know, that. Everybody get ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and so, I mean, the one thing that we, we do have pretty good visibility is, is like the volume of, of the supply. So mm-hmm. we can predict with a fairly high degree of accuracy. We've kind of done this a little bit. Um, you know, will prices increase or decrease? Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, we see uh, a lot like that, for instance, um, the number of samples tested correlates to the volume that's available or coming to market, right, right. which correlates to price movement. So if the number of samples tested is increasing, we can expect that the price per pound or whatever is going to decrease. Um, and we have seen that there's like a one to two month lag between the data that we see in the actual price movements. Um, there's been a lot of price volatility in Oregon. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's starting to stabilize finally. Uh, supply and demand are, are, are about right. Right now, there's a little bit of a shortage, actually, of flour, which is interesting. 
after yeah. being very oversupplied for a long time. Um, and so, so Oregon's kind of like falling into a little bit more of a cadence now. Um, you know, Nevada's pretty close to cadence. Washington's pretty close. Michigan has a huge undersupply. Um, California has this weird paradox where they have a lot of supply, but not all compliant supply because of licensing right. difficulties and lab bottlenecks. And, um, so yeah, it, it just, it just varies. Yeah. Yeah. California is kind of going through that. Um, you know, it, it takes a couple of years, at least on the lab side, just for things to, um, kind of get into a good pace. Um, cause usually the lab testing regulations change up a little bit in the first couple of years, you've got the accreditation stuff, licensing and everything that, yeah, there's, there's, it, it happened in Oregon. I'm sure it'll happen anywhere where they require lab testing like that. That ends up being a pretty severe bottleneck um, yeah, for producers, yeah. at least at first. Yeah, um, exactly. What about, um, so I know another series of data points that you track are uh, contaminants in mm -hmm. products. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything in those data sets that is interesting or maybe even concerns you a little bit or maybe has you optimistic if things seem to be getting better over time? Yeah, it's like yeah. pesticides and microbiological contaminants, all of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, this is a data set that is very difficult to compare across different states because the list of analytes that are tested are very right. widely. So cannabinoids and terpenes tend to usually be the same usual suspects. Yeah. Um, but pesticides, you know, Oregon, I think, has a list of 60 or so. Mm -hmm. um, Nevada has a shorter list. Some states don't even require pesticide testing. Um, Oregon doesn't require micro, uh, microbial right. testing anymore, but other states do. And so it just kind of depends. Um, and uh, so, so it's hard to compare across different states. What, what is easy to do is compare across labs within a state. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't publish any of this information, uh, but we do um, help our labs know kind of where they fit within the, the universe of, mm -hmm. of, of their peers, right? So, um, you know, we have had to have difficult conversations with a few labs. We're like, okay, well, in your state, you know, the average failure rate for pesticides is 4%, for instance. Mm -hmm. Your failure rate is 0.2%. Oh, Can wow. you help yeah. us under understand that? And they can't really give a great answer. And we actually have uh, terminated accounts for a couple of uh, labs that we think are, aren't, aren't doing their job correctly. Uh, we don't throw them under the bus publicly or anything like that. Yeah. We don't want to name or shame. And this is after we've had a couple of conversations to try to actually help them. Maybe they're, yeah. maybe they're making a mistake. It's innocent baking or poop. So we, we, we do do that from time to time. Um, I wish everybody were testing for the same analytes because then we could do fun things like, well, is the incidence of mold failure higher in places with more humidity or what's right. the correlation of mold failure to rainfall or, yeah. you know, things like that yeah. would be kind of cool. Or, you know, certain cannabinoids, maybe there's a correlation to certain pesticides because mm -hmm. optimizing for this cannabinoid might yield this weakness, which requires this pesticide. Who knows? We can't really do that very well. Um, and frankly, that hasn't really been a, a topic of a lot of internal research. Um, we've mostly been interested in like the cannabinoids and terpenes for Connect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one thing that you just said um, raises another question. How do you vet the labs that you associate with and that you bring onto your platform uh, to try to, especially in states where um, 
there may not be quite as much oversight as there is in like California, Oregon, and that sort of thing. How do you, how do you approach these labs and how do you try to wrap your mind around whether they seem to be producing reliable data or not? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for one thing, we're, we're, we're not a regulatory body. Uh, we're not an auditing firm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're not even a data company. Uh, so, uh, you know, the quality of the data is, important mostly so that people trust it when right. participating in our marketplace right mm -hmm. you know it, it sounds kind of like uh you know anticlimactic to say that but the reality is that we, we're, we're not a pharmaceutical company looking to use mm -hmm. this data for clinical studies um and so uh it, it really comes down to trust and so we we, we when we onboard a lab uh we use our judgment with respect to like are they actually a real lab do they mm -hmm. actually have the right equipment or are they just like a guy in a van printing paper? Right. <laughs> right. We, we, yeah. We, Which we, exists. We do, yeah. yeah, exactly. We do get a lot of people trying to set up accounts with just a guy in a van printing paper and we don't give them an account. Um, so, so we do some level of due diligence on, on the lab to make sure that they are in fact a real lab, but because we're not an auditing firm, we're not a, a lab ourselves. We're not a regulatory body. Um, we, 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 we don't, you know, look at their methods and say, this is right or wrong. Um, we give them the benefit of the doubt. So our policy, you know, if they're a real lab is innocent until proven guilty. So we'll give them a, an account. We'll monitor their data. If it looks like it's really out of whack, then we'll have a conversation with them. If they still don't like kind of fall into what we think is reasonable, then we'll terminate the account. But that, that happens infrequently. Um, so yeah, in general, we want people to, to trust our, our results. Uh, I don't think it's good enough to do clinical studies at the pharma level though. Sure. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, you've been gathering this data for, you know, basically four years now. Has it um, influenced your overall perspective about cannabis and the cannabis industry in any appreciable ways? Has it kind of um, evolved, you know, your thinking um, about these products and the players in the industry and, and all of that since uh, before you started? Yeah. Yeah. So for, for instance, one thing, um, you know, right now it's fairly widely known within the industry, um, but it's very much proven with our data set is that Indica Sativa and hybrid don't mean anything at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's nice yeah, to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. There's absolutely no correlation between Indica Sativa hybrid labels and their chemotype. Um, it's funny though, because everybody in the industry tends to agree with it yet a lot of companies still use those labels because yep. consumers want to use those labels because it's it's just a handy nomenclature to say, well, should I take this in the morning or during the day or should I take this at night? Um, that's not really accurate. Um, now, there are other things that do make change the way you feel. It doesn't mean that they all feel the same. They, all, they don't. They feel different, but they don't correlate to those labels. Um, so, um, you know, we've done clustering analysis to see, like, how many clusters are there? Can we cluster... The, the, the chemo type space in something that we could simplify down to like, let's say A, B, C, D kind of clusters or red, mm -hmm. blue, green, yellow, um, something like that, where that way you could go into a store theoretically and say, okay, well, I really liked red last time, give me more red. Oh, and then you go to a different store in a different state and they also have red and you buy red and it's consistent, right? right? Um, we're not there yet, um, but that would be that would be really interesting. And in our in our early look, we're not ready to write a white paper or anything about this yet. We found five to seven clusters, and 
and the range is really just like where you feel like the judgment to cut it off is like you know it's just kind of defined enough right the lines are blurry yeah yeah so so it's not anything rigorous um but five to seven clusters is very different than than two Mm. like indica (laughs) sativa right um so that's that's one important thing you know the other thing is that strain names being unreliable um is something that i kind of would have intuited based on knowing how people share genetics and how genetics evolve over time and how people just rename things to help sell their inventory better. Um, but, but the fact is that like, yeah, strain names are very unreliable. You can't rely on that to, to, to know what you're going to get from one store to the other. Um, and, you know, and I guess like a little bit more of a, uh, like aspirational note, um, the general public has a lot to learn still. Right, like the general public uh, just is, is in the infancy about learning about can- cannabis chemistry and, and things like that. I mean, there was a time when we started, you know, four years ago, that only the leading scientists were even talking about terpenes. Now terpenes are yeah. in, in the common vocabulary with at least bud tenders, right? Um, but yeah, even two years ago, bud tenders didn't really know what terpenes are. Now this new category of chemicals, flavonoids, are you know coming <laughs> yeah. into vogue. So um, I don't know what the, you know, the chemical, uh, the biochemical effects of flavonoids are specifically. I haven't done enough research to say like, you know, are they important? Like terpenes are important or different right. maybe. Um, but they, they, they taste like things, hence the yeah. name flav- flavor flavonoids. Um, so yeah, we should definitely optimize for flavonoids because people like weed that tastes good. So that's the thing we should study and measure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's becoming a thing more and more labs within the last couple of months have actually been asking to add, add that as an assay. Um, that they test for. So yeah, there's a long way to go. And, and, and hopefully that information flow transfers to the consumers because ultimately people vote with their wallet and yep. if they don't care about terpenes, then the growers who care and the retailers who care, they're like, well, it's not, it doesn't sell. So what's the point, right? Yep. Yeah. Why yeah. spend the money to get it tested if it's not going to bring yeah. value? Right. Yeah. Well, right. it's, it's good to hear that there's some interest in, in flavonoids. Uh, there's been some research that's come out that's shown that they some of them that have been evaluated um, directly interact with um, components of the endocannabinoid system. So they can influence endocannabinoid system tone, which is then going to sort of influence how cannabinoids and terpenes are going to elicit effects. And I mean, the research is in its infancy as far as understanding. I mean, (laughs) the research is still in its infancy, understanding how cannabinoids interact with a lot of um, chemical receptors. So much less flavonoids, but Um, the flavonoid thing really interests me because, you know, once you understand that, and if that provides value to the user experience of cannabis, that then gets extrapolated to all sorts of other plants, um, because they're so ubiquitous. Um, so so that's just really interesting to me. It'll be cool to see more data on that. And then I keep waiting. I know that, um, I don't know, there's these like pendulum swings, like nobody knows about terpenes. And then once they do, that's all they talk about. Right. And it kind of gets overblown and then it, the pendulum will swing another way. And the same thing right. will happen with flavonoids, I'm sure. Right now yeah. with CBG, that seems to be happening. You know, CBD's the craze and now CBG's coming into um, into its own. And, you know, I'm just waiting like, okay, when are stilbenoids going to get talked about? When are the phytosterols and cannabis going to get talked about? And are we going to cycle through all of these major classes of compounds? Which... Um, as an educator, um, I like seeing all of that because it gets people excited and interested about phytochemistry broadly and expanding their understanding about cannabis. And then, 
you know, what I try to point out is that you can take this understanding about cannabis and apply it to all sorts of things and start thinking about your diet and all these, all these other interactions you have with plants and plant compounds and, um, you know, and use that wisdom from cannabis to kind of, um, mature your relationship with, with plants and food broadly. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that's, yeah. that's, that's really, uh, really interesting, but yeah, there's, there, there, there's a lot to learn. And, you know, the other big driver uh, that doesn't get talked about that much is consumption method, right? Yeah, yeah. If you, if you combust the plant, uh, at a temperature, you know, what I, you know, propane or butane, whatever your lighter is, mm -hmm. um, that's going to, that's going to yield a very difficult, different chemical composition, uh, than vaped or, you yep. know, certainly, certainly like eaten and ingested edibles. Um, so yeah, I, I think consumption method per personally speaking, like I, I see much more vari variability in the effect from consumption method than, than the actual like chemical composition. So yeah. if, if, if I'm going to kind of compare different chemical compositions, it has to be the same consumption method. Otherwise, yep. it's apples and oranges. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because ultimately you want to understand the chemistry of what's actually bioavailable in your body, not just right. what's in that, that starting material. I think that's a great thing to, to, to point out that, yeah, the, the actual chemicals that make it in your body are extremely different with, if you're eating versus if you're vaporizing versus if you're smoking or, or even yeah. sublingual administration. And, right. Um, or even different forms of smoking. Like, you know, if right. you use a pipe versus a bong versus yep. a, a joint, you know, all those things, different, uh, yeah, different temperatures, like it yep. passes through the water, certain things dissolve faster than other things, yep. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and for really researchers, depends. that's all those variables are really exciting because it means there's limitless amounts of sort of low hanging fruit for, for researchers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is, um, does confident cannabis have an eye on the hemp markets? Uh, cause I know you've been primarily focused on, um, sort of the adult use, um, side of things, but now that hemp's getting so big, I wanted to, to bring that up and see if it's on your radar. Yeah, definitely on our radar. Um, so we, we, on the one hand, have quite a bit of hemp supply because they test with our partner labs who do the adult use mm -hmm. testing. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the cultivators who, uh, traditionally tested for or, or grew or produced THC products are now either also doing CBD or exclusively CBD for various reasons. And so there's, there's definitely a natural transition and overlap there. Um, we looked at, uh, the business opportunity for us and we, we definitely think that there's a big business opportunity. But the hemp market is so different from the yeah. THC market that it would require a significant uh, change in business uh, model, business process, and, and and things like that. You know, we we have a a fantastic team. We're thirty people, um, but I think that to 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 do the hemp thing well, mm -hmm. it's it's a, it's a different company because you know the yeah. buyer set is completely different, right? Um, you know, dispensaries buy a little bit of hemp, but not a lot. Really, the, the buyers of hemp are, you know, processors, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. hemp flour usually doesn't get consumed. I mean, there's a market for that, but it's the bulk of it is processed into CBD, isolate yeah. or distillate. Um, so the processors are the buyers of the biomass, and they don't really care about flour grades. They just need biomass. Uh, so it's a very different kind of, it is much more commoditized. Um, uh, you know, terpenes and, and high CBD things are very rarely talked about. Entourage effect is very rarely yeah. talked about in that market. So it's really just trying to optimize for individual cannabinoids. Anyway, then you then you get sort of this this bulk oil market, and they're selling to cosmetics <laughs> companies and food yeah. companies and you know beer companies and you know that's a completely different sales force. 
than the Salesforce that would help you get dispensaries to buy from a platform. Yeah. Um, and so while we do think that there's a market opportunity there, we don't think that we're best set up to do that. Um, uh, we would love to help others pursue that opportunity, but we just have to focus on, on what we know we can, we can do well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, makes perfect sense. The, yeah. the whole hemp industry is so chaotic right now too, as far as, um, the FDA trying to figure out regulations and, you know, whether hemp extracts are even going to be allowed in foods. Um, right. Not right. really talking about topicals too much. It seems like that's pretty low risk, and that's where like the major retailers are focusing. But as far as um, other products, it's kind of nebulous, especially with Epidiolex getting approved right. um, as a pharmaceutical. Yeah, and, um, and for, further complex, uh, you know, adding to the complexity there is um, you could have a CBD molecule uh, that it was derived from a plant that had zero THC, and that's mm -hmm. totally totally legal but an identical CBD molecule, exactly <laughs> the same thing derived yep. from a plant that had a little bit more THC, even though that THC is totally absent, is illegal. So, right. uh, you know, to like it, th th that introduces a pretty significant uh, risk and complexity to, let's say, a cosmetics company buying it for a topical because it, they need to know the biomass that it started with. And at mm -hmm. that point, it's gone through like five or six different, you know, people, <laughs> the farmer yeah. to, to distributor, to the processor, to the distributor, to you know, to their contract manufacturer, right? Who made yeah. the topical. So yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's, 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 and, and, you know, that could put cosmetics companies squarely in the, you know, kind of schedule one violation, yep. uh, even though it's just a little bit of CBD in a topical. So yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging right now. Yeah. That's one reason yeah. why we're, we don't feel ready to tackle that yet. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you see for the the future of confident cannabis? You said marketplace was step two. Um, yeah. What are the next steps that you see on the horizon in the next couple of years, five years, ten years? Um, yeah, yeah. So our ultimate uh, vision is to be the platform upon which the cannabis industry runs. So we want to be the foundational platform that you know every B two B transaction uh, you know originates, is executed, is tracked, and fulfilled. Um, so we want to streamline the whole B2B workflow, uh, everything from payments to lending to transportation to storage, all those kinds of things. We want to make it as simple as Uber, for instance, where click a button, everything takes care of itself. The next day, the inventory that you ordered shows up on time, in full, lab tested, compliant. Everything is easy. Paperwork's taken care of. Um, and if you need to take out a loan to do that, you can do that as well. So that's where we would like to go. There. Uh, there's a lot that we can do in the current regulatory uh, mm -hmm. environment. Um, one thing that we can't do is payments. So we mm -hmm. can't take payments for cannabis and then remit that. Uh, we would love right. to do that one day. Uh, it's not an option for us right now under federal uh, law. Um, but uh, yeah, we basically want to be end to end in the whole transaction workflow. We want to originate the transactions and, and make it as seamless as possible. Um, and so, you know, that includes transportation and financing and all these kinds of things that we're kind of slowly building into. Yeah. And do you plan on um, doing more work around like data visualization? I know you said you're not a data company, but um, I'm sure there'll be more opportunities in the future to do things like Connect um, yeah. to, to help the marketplace understand trends and, um, and what's going cool. on. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, educating the market on the importance of cannabis chemistry and translating that knowledge to actionable purchasing behavior is really important to us. So, 
Um, like I said, you know, connect is a thing that we built because we, we, we felt we had a moral obligation to because nobody in the world could build a thing like that at the moment. Um, so we, we wanted to do it for that sake. Um, but we kind of, uh, justify it by allowing retailers who use it to click through, to find the inventory and actually buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, that feedback loop is, 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 is used rarely. Uh, what we'd like to do is, is, is make that much more prevalent. And so there are a lot of things that we can do to make that, um, more, more widely used and, the the benefit of doing that is that suddenly retailers are thinking about their purchasing decisions based on chemistry. They're rewarding growers who think about chemistry and optimize for chemistry. Um, and you know that ultimately trickles up to the, the end patient or consumer because they're finally getting what they want in a consistent, reliable way. Um, and that just has kind of uh, benefits to the whole supply chain, right? So retailers, yeah you know, can recommend the right thing, make more money uh, doing that. They, they buy from vendors who optimize and differentiate, make more money doing that. It just kind of helps everybody. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I think that's that's going to be really exciting to see that evolve. I'm eager to see some federal regulations change that'll give you more freedom to be able to um, really uh, kind of hit the ground running towards, towards that end goal. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know it's probably a little. Um, I don't know. Frustrating is one way to say it. Just uh, maybe a exercise in solving puzzles is another way. But dealing with the the patchwork nature of all the regulations in in the states that you operate, it's got to be kind of a challenge to balance all that out. And yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 certainly a challenge. Um, it, it's 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 be, it's been table stakes really at this point. I mean, early on. Yeah. Um, we we did what I think most companies do, where we get customer feedback and we go do what they say, right? It's like, right. what do you want to see? What do you want to build? <laughs> and we go off and we build it and they're like, great. Or maybe they're like, oh, well, that's not what I meant. But that's pretty typical. The problem in this industry is that, you know, it's so different state to state. So certain workflows, certain feature requests make sense for one place, but not another place. Um, mm -hmm. And so early on, we kind of learned the hard way that we have to think, what are all the possible combinations of this? What are all the other state regulatory systems doing? How do we make this kind of like lowest common denominator kind of one size fits all, or mm -hmm. at least abstracted or modular enough to make it work everywhere? Um, yeah. So fle flexibility and uh, is kind of core to our like feature planning process. Um, yeah. yeah, change is inevitable. It happens all the time. We're, we're kind of not phased by it anymore. There's a time when yep. it's like, oh, we got to hustle, go do this thing. We have one month to do it. They just put out a memo. You yep. know, the, regu the regulators don't care about us in our Christmas vacation. <laughs> um, but yeah, that actually did happen once in Oregon. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 I, I remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what about, um, are you guys focused on as well on like um, software integrations with other uh, pieces of software that are common in the industry, um, like point of sale systems, as well as like limbs that testing labs are using and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a limbs API that integrates with now five different limbs, um, providers. Um, so limb stands for laboratory information mm -hmm. management system. Um, we have really the only cannabis specific limbs out there. Um, but you know, it, it's got a lot of great features, but it doesn't have everything in the world. There sure. are other limbs that have been out there for 20 plus years who have more features from pharmaceutical or environmental uh, industries and so on. Um, and certain labs prefer those sets of features. And, uh, but, but 
that they kind of want best of both worlds. They want our cannabis specific things, but then they also want some of the more kind of robust, uh, you know, features from these other limbs. So we integrate with them. Uh, and we, like I said, we have five different limbs partners that are up and running now. Most of our labs tend to uh, use our software directly. So uh, I would say maybe 10%, 10 to 15% of our labs are using an integration situation. Integrations are becoming more and more common though, more and more okay. popular uh, as we kind of expand the service offering and, and do that. So yeah, it's very core to what we're trying to do. We definitely want to do that. And uh, we're frankly agnostic if the lab uses our software or their software, so long as we can integrate. Because again, ultimately, it's about getting the, the clients of the labs on, on Confident Cannabis and having them be vendors. Um, so um, that's on the lab testing side. On the, on the um, kind of wholesale marketplace side, um, with like point of sale systems or inventory management systems, it's definitely something we want to do. It, has, it hasn't been something that we've done yet. Um, you know, our, our wholesale platform has only been live for, um, I think it's 10, 10 months now. Um, and since then we launched in another state and we're building all these features quickly. So we haven't built our API out for that. We definitely want to do that within the next 12 months um, because we see a lot of value in connecting data across platforms, making it really convenient. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to be open uh, to integrate with people. And we, we, the, the only reason we haven't done it yet is just frankly bandwidth, not because we haven't yeah. wanted to or think it's important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, something I noticed in... Um some of the emails coming off the platform for the 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 wholesale marketplace is um uh something that I thought was kind of cool is when there's a need um in either well you know what I see is on the Oregon side but when there's a need uh confident cannabis will send out an email saying hey um there are people looking for this if you have it let us know so do you have like a team of people that focus on the the um, marketplace side that are helping uh, companies connect with each other on a sort of more, um, you know, not just within the software system, but, you know, actually, you know, sort of analog <laughs> um, yeah. connecting people together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so we have a team of um, four account executives that are dedicated to the Oregon market right now. And we're currently hiring account executives for the Michigan market. Um, right now, uh, Paul, our VP of sales and I are basically doing all the sales for Michigan since, you know, we just launched 10 days ago. Um, sure, yeah. um, but yeah, so in, in all of our, uh, markets where we have wholesale live, uh, we have account executives that are assigned to vendors and buyers and every order that comes through. And so they have a really, really great pulse. I mean, they talk to the industry all day, every day. Um, and they know price trends. And, and, mm -hmm. and so that's why we put out these market reports. Another one for Oregon's coming out soon uh, around like pricing trends and dynamics that we see. And so we, we hear that, you know, people are looking for bee buds and trim for processing material. There's a shortage of that. So we send out an email blast asking if you have it, let us know. And uh, that was actually our best performing email ever, I think, <laughs> or, or at least top yeah. five email. Uh, um, a lot of people replied saying, I've got these things available. We say great, and so we help them list it on the platform, and we we hustle to make sure those trades happen um, on the platform. In other situations, um, you know, Michigan's going through a change in regulatory structure, um, going from like a nonprofit caregiver model to a licensed mm. uh, for-profit model. Um, yeah. And right now, they're they're kind of overlapping because there's not enough supply to there's not enough licensed supply to supply the licensed retailers. And so the regulators are allowing the caregiver supply to make its way into the retailers. Um, but it's very, um, 
opaque right now. There's like we, there's no database where you can see all these caregivers. Um, but we have a lot of their uh, inventory, and so um, we've been connecting people offline, just saying, "Hey, here's a caregiver with supply that you're interested in. Um, there's a shortage of flour; they can't stock their shelves, so we're just connecting them offline. We're going to try to productize that, put it into the app a little bit more, because um, there's definitely a need there. But yeah, we, we our number one goal is just just help businesses trade with each other, and whether or not we, whether we take 100% of the pie or a fraction of the pie doesn't really, or, or none of the pie doesn't really concern us at this moment. We just want to make buyers happy and sellers happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's that's um, really cool that you have that built in to the model that it's not just about providing this software and letting people use it, but really getting involved with you know the players. That was something that. Um, you know, I noticed early on um, when we were when I was working at the lab and we were onboarding Confident Cannabis is how hands-on you were with with our team um, and trying to make sure that needs were addressed and that the the experience was was positive. I think that's um, yeah. kind of unique in yeah. In customer days. service is very very important for us. Um, you know, we we have great technology, but there's always you know more features we can build and mm-hmm. everything like that. Um, but the, but the one thing that we can always control is their customer service. And so, um, we invest heavily in that. We make, we have a really customer centric organization and culture. Um, and you know, we're proud that we have a 97% customer satisfaction rating, um, which is pretty high. Yeah. 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 Well, and, um, you know, getting towards, towards the end here, um, and looking towards the future, um, are there any questions that, you know, you sort of personally have or your team has shared um, that you kind of look forward to seeing uh, be answered through the data that you're acquiring, uh, things that that you all are either privately or, you know, as a group uh, kind of um, interested in, in seeing play out? Yeah, yeah. So um, there are a couple of things that, you know, we slash I personally aspire to. Uh, in, in, in the industry and, and it's not something that we can do alone. So it's very much of a, of a, of a crowdsourced thing. Um, so one of them is, is, is creating this simplified nomenclature. So replacing indica sativa hybrid with red, yeah. yellow, blue, green, for example. Um, and maybe there's five clusters or seven clusters, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but some sort of simplified labeling system that is based on cannabis chemistry that producers and processors adopt and, voluntarily use and label their products as such and and retailers talk to their customers about and you know it's not something that we can unilaterally do because we can't control what goes on packaging and, mm-hmm. and so on so it has to be like this crowd crowdsourced uh, movement um we would love to do something like that um we haven't done the work to get there quite yet um but i think that a lot of people who, who i talked about this idea they're on board with the, the concept and they think it makes sense um and that's, that's one thing. The other thing is um, we would love to collaborate with, um, you know, different third parties, nonprofits, whatever it is, to create a quality grading system that is consistent and, and, and fairly objective. Um, so, you know, the dairy industry has quality grading, the meat industry, diamonds, you, yeah. you name it, right? They all have this certain very simple grading system. You know what you're going to get. Um, and that doesn't mean that we commoditize it. Um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, another example is like a credit score, right? So everybody's credit is widely different. Um, but we have a measuring device, which is a credit score. You can, you can, you can assess it and, you know, 
to get a mortgage, you don't need to, you know, invite the banker over to your house for dinner anymore. You can just <laughs> show them yeah. your credit score, right? Um, and and then that's a good thing. Right now, you know, if retailers are going to buy from buyer from from farmers, like they invite them over for dinner, basically the equivalent mm-hmm. of that, and they have to like human interact. Uh, that's not scalable. That's not. It, it doesn't even really help the best uh, growers. It just helps the people with the best sales teams. Um, right. So we would love to have a quality grading system that is accurate, objective, simple, uh, scalable, easy to use. Um, and so we've been working with a couple of different groups on on that um, here and there. But uh, that's another kind of project that we would love to see. And, you know, cannabis chemistry and the lab data would be a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all music to my ears as a quality management guy. Um, trying to see some standardization of quality and um, helping make it uh, much easier and faster for people to understand uh, the quality of products is mm-hmm. definitely, definitely needed. It's so convoluted right now. And, and even like trying to teach people how to interpret uh, certificates of analysis and stuff, you know, you just can't rely on, on that, you know, really it's yeah. just too much to ask of, of the public broadly to try to learn all of this, all these complicated details just to, right ascertain some basic information um so yeah. Yeah. stoked to stoked to hear that and yeah um, yeah hope to see that develop soon yeah it's all about the ecosystem you can't yeah. do it on our own yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly uh well i know um you're limited on time so i'm gonna go ahead and um get this wrapped up but um is there anything else that uh we haven't gone into that you wanted to spend a couple minutes um sharing or just plugging, letting people know how to learn more about Confident Cannabis. I'll just kind of hand it over to you to fill in any gaps I might have missed uh, yeah. in this conversation. Yeah, well, I, I think we covered uh, a lot of the, the important stuff about our company. So the only thing I would say is if you're interested in learning more, go to confidentcannabis.com and got a website with some information there. Uh, feel free to reach out to us if you want to learn more as well. Uh, we love hearing from our customers or potential customers. Um, and then finally, we're hiring. We're hiring great people across the board sales, marketing, engineering, product, uh, you name it. And so um, if you or people you know are interested in working at a cannabis tech company in California, let us know. Nice. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'll get the word out. Uh, Well, thanks so much, Steve. It's always great to um, connect with you and hear about what your team's uh, doing. I think you're doing great work and look forward to seeing how the company uh, continues to evolve over the years. I think you're providing a really, really important service that I think people are just going to continue to, um, you know, see more and more value in that as, as time presses on. And especially as, as the market matures and starts to stabilize, um, yeah. I think yeah. it's just, just going to become more and more valuable. So thanks for all you do. Um, send you. my, send my, my thanks to your team and, um, and, and say hello as well for me. Those that I, that I know, I, I knew your mm-hmm. core team, you know, back in the yeah. day when, you know, there were about six of you or seven of you and it's yeah. grown quite a bit since then, but, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of them are still here. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was great to see you and talk to you again. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Likewise. Um, and those of you who are listening, um, if you want to learn more about the Curious About Cannabis podcast, you can go to CACpodcast.com. We're also on social media and Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram primarily. Um, and I look forward to bringing more um, interesting, critical conversations about cannabis to you soon. So thanks for tuning in. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 
If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises, a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.